All right, let's open in our Bibles tonight to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 4. It was good to have the Souders with us last week. What a blessing to have them here last Sunday night. Uh, But it did disrupt a little series that the Lord has us started on. Uh, But two weeks ago, we began a series on faithful sayings for faithful servants. Four times in uh, the epistles of the Apostle Paul, say that five times fast, four times uh, he uses this phrase. He says, this is a faithful saying. And I'm very interested in those uh, four instances, what they mean in your life and in my life. The first week that we studied one, we learned that the God that uh, God still saves sinners. Amen? Let me tell you something. If you're going to serve the Lord, there's going to be times that you're going to have to remind yourself that God saves sinners. If you're going to give out these tracts and give them out faithfully and give, out, give them out not just in November but in December and in January, you know, this right here, this little challenge that we're doing, that's just a jump starter. Amen? How many of you have ever walked out and the car was dead on your, uh, you know, the, the battery was dead on your car? You ever had that happen? And, uh, and you, you hook, you know, you hook up one of them jump boxes and you start it up. Uh, you don't drive down the road with the jump box still hooked to it. Amen? Uh, you're supposed to get that car going and then the alternator is supposed to take over. And, uh, let me tell you something. I, I encourage you and I challenge you to be sure and do this and do it faithfully and diligently and everybody ought to have a part in that. Amen? Uh, I believe that e- even in a home, I believe not only the husbands but the wives too can have a part in that. Uh, don't try and tell me that, that you and your husband or you and your wife spend 24 hours a day together. I won't believe you. Amen? And uh, so when you're taking some of that personal time to get over something dumb that your husband said, take a track with you. Amen? And uh, so wives can do it and husbands can do it and uh, children can do it. Uh, let me tell you something. There is nothing that uh, the state can do to stop your child from handing out gospel tracts in their public school. There is nothing they can do to stop that. Now, they may not be able to do it during class time, uh, but they have the uh, First Amendment constitutional right to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with other kids there at the school. And so kids can be involved in it. But I'm saying if you're going to keep doing it, if you're going to be doing it in December and in January, if you're going to keep doing it even when you don't feel like doing it, you're going to have to remind yourself sometimes that God saves sinners. Sometimes when things are difficult, you'll have to remind yourself, hey, God saves sinners. When Paul uses the phrase, a faithful saint, I don't think he is telling us that this portion of the Word of God is any more inspired than any other portion or that any other portion is any less inspired than the portion that we have in front of us. But rather, I think what the Apostle Paul is saying to us is that as a faithful friend that has stuck with me during difficult times, these sayings have been faithful to me. When we think of something being faithful, we think of it being ever-present. Amen? Isn't that true? Uh, somebody that sticks by your side. And Paul is exhorting young Timothy about these sayings, and I, I think sort of what he's saying as he comes to the end of, uh, of his ministry and his, the end of this earthly sojourn, I believe that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, as you endeavor to serve God, there are some sayings and some truths that you will find very valuable. And there will be moments of discouragement or despair, moments of seeming defeat, 
And in those moments, Timothy, you're going to need these saints. And so I think we need to remember that God saves sinners. But I think here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I think we've got a good one. I think we need to preach on it for just a few moments tonight. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down to verse 11, and then we'll pray and get started. The Word of God says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Can I just pause there and say, we see that today. Amen? Uh, there's a lot of big denominations want to tell their, their priests that they can't marry and tell you that you'd be better if you abstained from meats on a certain day of the week. I mean, listen, I, I'm not a smart man, but I can see when two and two equals four. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, the Apostle Paul said, you better watch out for that crowd which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and vain, uh, profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. Somebody say amen right there. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, specially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let's look back. Let's read verses 7 and 8 and verse number 9 again. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank You for the privilege it is to be in Your house. Now, Lord, we ask that in these next few moments, You, through the Spirit of God, would apply these truths to our hearts and our lives. Help us to be surrendered, Lord. Help us to be humble tonight as we're willing to admit, and help us to be willing to admit, Lord, that there's work that needs to be done in our lives and that You're capable of doing that work and that that work is profitable to us. Lord, I don't know the hearts of the people here, but if there's any in need of Christ's salvation, I pray before they'd leave here tonight that they'd come to know Him as their Savior. Lord, we do love You, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, context is vitally important to understanding what the Apostle Paul is addressing. But let me go ahead and tell you the truth and the faithful saying that I believe that Paul is giving to Timothy. The first one we looked at was that God saves sinners. And I believe that will help you in dark times. But let me say that in uh, depraved times in which we live today, it, it is a faithful saying or it is a help for us to understand that godliness is good for you. 
you know, as he is speaking to Timothy in chapter number 4, I want us to look again. We'll just walk through the first few verses, and then we'll preach for a few moments. He says in verse number 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now can I give you just, I mean, my little parenthetical explanation of that. Is that all right this, this evening? Uh, let me just say it how we might understand it or how I might say it to you. I might write to Timothy and say, Timothy, things ain't going to get better. They're only going to get worse. Timothy, as you look around at the Gnosticism that has gripped the New Testament church in your day, Timothy, as you look around and you see the paganism and the wickedness of the Roman Empire in the days that you live, as you live in a day of darkness and a day in which the gospel, uh, there are some that would seek to snuff out the glorious light of the gospel. Timothy, it's not going to get better, Timothy. It's only going to get worse. Now, what are you going to do when it gets worse, Timothy? We're not living in the day of the Roman Empire, at least not the old Roman Empire. We're not living in a day when Gnosticism, at least that, that framework of ideology, is prevalent, at least in an explicit way in the New Testament church. But can I remind you that we're living in the latter times. And we're living in a day where every heresy uh, has a congregation and every false doctrine has a follower. You look around you, and, uh, you know, it gets a little discouraging sometimes. I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you as, as, as a pastor, and I, I'm grateful. I've got nothing to complain about, and I'm not complaining. But uh, let me tell you something. If America was in the shape that it ought to be in, we could I mean, listen, you couldn't have got into this parking lot tonight. Amen? I have come to terms with this, and I don't, I don't even know why I'm saying this, except I believe the Lord wants me to. I, there's, there's stuff that could be worked on at any church. Amen? I mean, I don't care what church it is. It's always things you can do better. Always, I mean, listen, everybody can smile more. Everybody can be more friendly. Everybody can preach the Word of God more. I'm not saying that our church don't need work. But let me tell you something. I don't care if this sounds prideful or not. we got a good church. I believe that. I don't think it is prideful to say that. I mean, every crow thinks his crow's the blackest. Let me tell you something. Everybody ought to think they've got a great church. If you don't, what are you doing there? Amen? Uh, far too many people sit in places where they're miserable. I believe we've got a good church. As we've gathered here tonight, and, and we've got a, a decent crowd for a Sunday night. Again, I'm, I'm not fussing or complaining. I'm not in a bad mood. But let me tell you something. I mean, do you ever look around you and think, why ain't this place packed out? Man, I thought that. I come in, Man, you can come in, you can worship. I mean, we, we've got good music. We've got a good, good liberty in the service. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you'll let it discourage you as you look around at places where the Word of God is not preached, but the parking lots are full. And you'll look around and you'll think to yourself, you'll, you'll see places where godliness is not uplifted. Instead, carnality is the norm and, and the rule and the standard, and, and they're busting at the seams. And, and it's easy to let that discourage you. Some, listen to me. Don't let that discourage you. The Word of God told us these days was coming. The Word of God told us that. And I'm not saying we make ourselves victims. I'm not saying we make ourselves martyrs. I'm not saying we sit around and, and say, well, we're the only folks around here that know God. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. We need to understand that uh, even in the days when Christ walked this earth, the closer He got to the cross, the thinner the crowd got. 
And let me tell you something, it's a lonely path sometimes to walk the path of godliness. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, I want you to understand that you're going to face some of these things. You're gonna, you're gonna, there's gonna come a day when doctrinal heresy will be what is normal. There's going to come a day when men are going to have itching ears and they're gonna heap to themselves teachers that'll come up like some old flea-bitten dog. They'll scratch that ear. You're, you're gonna live in a day when, uh, people are gonna convince you you're crazy for believing the Word of God. He's saying, in that day, Timothy, you're gonna need this faithful saying. You could do what some do, and Paul exhorts him against doing this. Look down. In verse number 7, he says, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Let me tell you something. You're starting to see that in the church today. And I, and, and I don't know how this is going to go over, but I'm, I'm bound to preach this. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of nonsense. And there's a lot of distractions. And, and there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of wild goose chasing in a lot of churches. Amen? Let me tell you something. We ought to preach the whole counsel of God. I believe that. You know your preacher believes that because he tries to do it every service. I mean the whole council. Amen. That's why you all get out of here so late. But, but can I just tell you something? There ain't no secret information in that book right there. Uh, that was part of the heresy of Gnosticism was they claimed to have a special revelation above what anybody else had. They claim to have a special knowledge. Let me tell you, this, this, is, this is not uh, the secret of the Lord Jesus Christ. This book is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of these silly old wise fables and things that are paper thin and things that, I mean, anybody with half a lick of, uh, of mind about them just blows against it and it blows over and it falls apart. We need to flee those things. And we need to get back to the meat of the Word of God with substance, with truth, things that are profound, things that speak to the soul and the life of the redeemed of God and those that are alienated through their sins. I'm just merely saying, you know what some folks do? They go after sensationalism. Let me tell you, I, I, I believe there are symptoms to the Lord's return, don't you? Stick with me. I believe we're going the right direction tonight. I'm, I'm serious. I, I think we are. I think we're going the right direction. I know you don't know what I'm doing up here, but, but I think the Holy Ghost does, so you stay with me. We'll get where we're headed. I believe there are symptoms to the Lord's return, but I believe what's in that book is a lot more valuable than what's in the newspaper. I, I mean, I, listen, I, I'm not saying that things that happen in today ain't significant. I'm saying this is more significant. There is a sensationalism to a lot of preaching today. Uh, you know, I believe we ought to believe in, in the premillennial, uh, visible, physical, bodily return of Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that around here, and we don't keep it a secret. We're not ashamed of that. I know a lot of places where the pastor believes that way, but he don't ever talk about it because it split the church. That's not us around here. We believe in it. We preach it. We believe it's truth, and we're not ashamed of that. But can I just tell you something? Everybody, whether they're saved or not, wants to know how the world is going to end. And there is a lot of sensationalistic nonsense that don't have a lick of Bible anywhere close to it, and it is ensnaring people. And you know what it's doing? It is robbing Christians of the meat of the Word of God. Let me tell you something. What God has to say is a lot more important than what you or I has to say. 
And we'll do far better to find out what God has to say about a matter than chasing every little rumor and every little whisper that we hear about every little thing that's going to happen. I'm not being derogatory. I'm not being ugly. I understand there are symptoms to the Lord's return. I understand there are things uh, that that teach us that that the Lord is returning soon. I'm not being dismissive. I'm just merely saying this. If it was all that important, I believe He would have put it in this book right here. I'm, I'm saying this. We ought to stick to the Word of God. We won't be ill-served by preaching the Word of God. There is inherent and intrinsic and original truth in the Word of God. And that truth is the life-changing truth. I mean, listen, I I can do what a lot of preachers do. I can stand on my head and I can figure out some uh, cute message and I can figure out some kind of way to impress you with it. Let me tell you something, that's not going to do the job. What does the job is the preaching of the Word of God. What does God say about the matter? I believe we need to endeavor as a church to stick close to that, don't you? We need to refuse uh, old wives' fables. They're profane. They pollute. They distract. Uh, They're like a lot of things. It's like eating cotton candy. It'll get you full, but there ain't nothing to it. Amen? It'll get you full. You'll go home. You think you've had church, but it won't change your life on Monday morning. The Word of God is what does that. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you need to be careful of those things. You need to refuse those things. And what do you need to do in their stead? He says in verse number 7, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is not a popular message that I'm about to preach. But I believe that godliness is one of the main missing key components in the church today. We are missing true biblical godliness in the life of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word godliness is found about 15 times in the New Testament. Thirteen of those times Paul uses it. So Paul is familiar with godliness. He understands, he has a grasp, he talks about, it's one of his favorite truths, the idea of godliness. But what does godliness mean? You may have immediately in your mind uh, went back to some dear gray-haired saint, some grandmother or great-grandmother or, or some neighbor or somebody that you knew and thought, boy, they were a godly person. Maybe they were. That's wonderful. But the idea of godliness is bigger uh, than just some example sat by someone that had a lot of temperance and chasteness. When you look at the idea of godliness, I want to give you a good definition for it. I, I think that this is pretty good. An inward reverence for God that results in an outward response to God. When we look at the word godliness, it is similar to the word Christian in that it evokes a likeness to something. When we speak of someone being a Christian, we are saying they are Christ-like. And when we speak of someone as being godly, we are saying that there are qualities that have come from God that are present and expressive in their life. In other words, because the relationship that they have with God, their life is different. One uh, person put it this way. He said that godliness is devotion in action. Or in other words, godliness is the kind of life I live for the Lord in response to the kind of love I have for the Lord. Godliness is not just a a measure of standards, but it is the outworking of our love for Jesus Christ. In other words, we love Him, so we want to be like Him. Amen? And Paul is speaking about the effect that godliness has in our lives. So we know what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about being more like God. 
being more like God out of a love for Him and out of His life living through us. But how does that take place? I've got three thoughts I want to give you, and, I, and I've already preached all over the state of Tennessee here in the last few minutes, so I'm going to hone her in and I'm going to just preach to you. I want us to notice the pursuit of godliness that he speaks about. Now, how do we become godly? Is this just a mysterious exercise that, that takes place without our will, without our effort, without our investment? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. In verse number 7, we have a, an ugly word, and it's the word exercise. Amen? How many of you think that's an ugly word? Raise your hand. Yeah, me too. The word exercise that's used here, you know what it means? I'm going to blow your mind. It means exercise. I wish I could tell you it meant something different, but it don't. But the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you are to exercise yourself unto godliness. He's speaking of the root to godliness. And can I just put it to you this way? Uh, there ain't no shortcuts to becoming godly. Godliness is a matter of devotion, discipline, and daily relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you know anything about exercise, and I don't know a lot about it, but I hear other people talk about it, you understand that it's not something you just do once a day, or, or I mean one day a week. It, it's not something, I mean, if you want to get in shape, it's not something you just do for a little while. It takes consistency. It takes discipline. Uh, the people go into the gym, work out two, three times, and expect to see a change, but we know that's not what happens. We know that's not how it takes place. We know the exercise for it to be effective, it must become a daily part of our lives, and it must become a consistent and persistent and perpetual part of our lives. Have you ever known anybody that's went out and they've worked hard uh, and they've lost weight, and then the next thing you know, you see them later on, and they're just as big as they used to be before, and you say, what happened? They say, well, you know, life got busy, I got out of the gym, and this is what happens. <laughs> Amen? In other words, what they're saying is, I was doing good for a while, but then I quit, and when I quit, I quit seeing results. God tells us this about godliness, that godliness is not just an occasional activity. Godliness is not just something that we wish and hope to happen, but godliness is a matter of our relationship and our love for Jesus Christ being worked out or expressed or manifested in our lives on a daily basis. In other words, let me tell you something. You don't become godly by just uh, being close to the Lord on Sundays. Somebody say amen to that. It's not just, listen, Sunday mornings alone, if, if, if your Christianity don't last no longer than a few hours on Sunday morning, you won't have godliness in your life. Now, some of you say, preacher, uh, you know, there's no way I could do it. I, I, I don't think it could happen in my life. I want to, but I don't think I can. Well, I understand why you say that. But let me tell you something. It's not some secret. It's not some magic potion that has to be taken. It's not something that is beyond the reach of you or of me, but it takes consistency and persistency in your life. It's not going to happen just in one moment. He speaks of the root of godliness or the root to godliness, but then he speaks of the, the responsibility of godliness. And what does he say? He says this, exercise thyself. I had a pretty good idea. I decided I wanted to lose weight. But, you know, you can outsource anything today, am I right? So I figured I'd just pay somebody to go to the gym for me. But, you know, it didn't work out like that because nobody can go and exercise but you. That's true for godliness as well. Let me tell you something. Your church can't make you godly. Now, you can be in the kind of church that promotes godliness, and you can be in the kind of church that prohibits godliness, but ultimately, your church can't make you godly. 
Your spouse can't make you godly. You hear people talk all the time. They'll say things like, well, you know, uh, she sure got him cleaned up or he sure got her cleaned up or, or got them straightened out. No, if there's real godliness in their life, it didn't come from their spouse. It didn't come from their friends. It didn't come from their church. It came from their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to exercise yourself. Let me tell you, there are a lot of folks uh, that get out of church. Oh, my. There are a lot of folks that get out of church because they want the church to maintain their relationship with the Lord for them. And I, I've seen this happen. I mean, time and time again, I've seen people uh, join a church, join this church. And, and, man, they're excited and they're faithful for a little while and then things change. And you talk to them and, and they don't even know why it has changed. And, uh, you know, they say, well, you know, we were excited for a little while, but now things are different. Let me tell you something. That excitement, that newness wears off, right? I mean, listen, I know if you ain't been here long, I know I look good looking. But you just wait three, four months, it'll wear on you. The new wears off of anything. The excitement goes away. And at the end of the day, it is your responsibility to maintain your relationship with Jesus Christ. Not anybody else. I don't say that out of bitterness or out of, out of anger or anything like that. I mean, I, I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, listen, if, if I could flip a switch and make all of our lives what they need to be, I'd do it, but I can't. It just isn't the way it works. It is your responsibility to maintain your relationship. He didn't say, now, Timothy, let me exercise godliness for you. He said, you exercise yourself. It is your responsibility to do I know a lot of people, they'd be godly if they didn't have to be godly. Right? I mean, they'd be fine. I mean, they, you know, and you hear people pray. They say, Lord, you know, make me godly. Well, I understand that. And I understand it takes the Lord's power and it takes the Lord's strength. And I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of times that we're praying for God to cleanse us or something. And the Lord looks at us and says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. There's a lot of times that we're begging for God to take something away that we won't let go of. I'm just merely saying this, that the responsibility is yours and the responsibility for my life is mine. We see the pursuit of godliness, but then we see the promise of godliness. Now, I, most of us, when we think of godliness, when we think of living right, doing right, uh, we think it as being a, a uh, rewardless drudgery, a duty, a responsibility that we must uh, engage ourselves in, but not something that is going to help us, at least not in this life. But I want you to notice what Paul says about it in verse number 8. He says this, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. I want you to notice the where of this promise. Where does godliness help us? Well, what does he say? He says it's profitable unto what? All things. In other words, you need godliness in every aspect of your life. One of the tragic things that believers do is they build fences in their life and they try to meal piece their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. They try to say, God, I'll give you this area of my life, but this I just cannot let go of. I'll tell you something, if He's not Lord of all in your life, then He's not Lord at all in your life. Ain't that true? 
Oh, I understand He's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying He's not your Savior. I'm saying that until He's Lord of all, until there's every area of your life you bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's hypocritical to say, oh, He's my Master, He's my Lord. It doesn't work that way. And the Apostle Paul says this, that in every area of your life, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Sunday nights, not just on Wednesday, but in every single area of your life, godliness will help you. Godliness is going to help you as a husband to be a better husband. It'll help you as a mama to be a better mama. It'll help you as a son or a daughter to be a better son and daughter. It'll help you uh, to, to, in every aspect of your life to do things God's way is going to help you. Uh, there is no way, and there's people who can testify to this in this room tonight. Uh, a lot of people, they have the idea that they're a Christian at church, but at work they've got to be a worldling. Let me tell you something. If you'll give God your workspace, you'll be amazed what He'll do with it. Somebody testify to that. Come on now. If you'll give God your work life, you'll be amazed what He'll do with it. If I'm saying that godliness in every avenue of life is profitable for you. We see not only the where, but we see the when of this promise. He says uh, the promise of life that now is and is to come. I know sometimes we think to ourselves, well, you know, it'll help me to live right because one of these days when I get to heaven, my reward will be greater. Well, I believe that's true. I definitely believe that uh, it'll be better for you uh, in respect to the rewards that you'll get and in respect to the judgment seat of Christ, live for the Lord. But godliness is not just something that helps you in the by and by. It's something that helps you in the now and now. Godliness is something that will help your life in the present not just in the prospect of the future. Can I give you three examples just real quick? You remember when Christ said in Luke chapter number 6 about giving? I believe it's godly to give. And, I, and we already took up the offer, and I'm not, you know, I'm not pandering for a big rock, but I believe, I believe it's godly to give. Uh, one of the only quotes of the Lord Jesus Christ that is found in the New Testament, but not in the book of, uh, or in one of the Gospels, is found in the book of Acts. And the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I believe it's a good thing to give. I believe that God will honor our giving. But did you know that that honoring is not just something that takes place way off yonder in eternity, but it's something that takes place now. In fact, listen to what it says in the book of Luke, chapter number 6. Listen to what Christ said about giving. He said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give in to your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. He does not say that God is going to give it into your bosom. Now, I believe God is the one that blesses us. But I believe there's an emphasis that the Lord is trying to convey here, which is that when we are generous, or can we say this, when we are godly with our giving, it brings a benefit even in this life. Now, I'm not talking about planting your seed of faith. I'm not talking about, you know, helping Creflo Dollar build another mansion. But I, I am merely saying this, uh, that generous people often find generosity returned to them. I think in giving. I think in humility. In 1 Peter 5, 6, the Bible says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. In other words, if you are willing to humble yourselves under God now, then in this life, I'm not talking about in the life to come, but in this life, in some respect, God will exalt you. Uh, Christ said this back in Luke chapter 18. It says, And He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time, and in the world to come, life 
everlasting. I believe in the sacrifices that we make. Let me tell you, I, I learned a long time ago, don't ever feel sorry for a missionary. Now, we ought to pray for him, we ought to love him, we ought to have compassion for him, but don't ever feel sorry for him because great is their reward. There's nothing. Let me tell you something. The Lord pays all his debts. There's not anybody that leaves this world with the Lord in debt to them. And those missionaries that go out and they sacrifice their lives and they go away and they... Let me tell you something. We don't even know the ways that God may be blessing and using and giving them strength. I'm not saying don't pray for them. I'm not saying don't love them. I'm just merely saying this, that if we view this with a biblical worldview and we know that God keeps His promises, then we're to understand that God is going to bless them in that endeavor. In the same respect, let me tell you something. God never asks too much of anyone. I don't care who you are. Uh, God's not going to ask more from you than He has given you. God always gives more than He takes. So I believe in our if we will sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever it may be, area of our life that He desires, that we might yield to Him, we'll not be sorry for it. God will bless us in that endeavor. So I think there is found in this passage not only the where, but the when of this promise. Then I want you to notice not only the promise of godliness, but the persuasion of godliness. Or could we say this, what's the real motive of godliness? Why do we endeavor to be godly? Well, look at verse number 9 and listen to what Paul says. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Now, you may be sitting here saying, well, that's good, preacher, but is godliness really for me? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you believe the Word of God? If you believe the Word of God, then you believe that this saying is worthy of all acceptation. In other words, you know what Paul's saying? This is a saying that's good for everybody. We understand that this is most certainly advice given to a first century pastor. This is most certainly inspired Scripture, but we also understand that this has a true and keen relevance to our lives today. God looked beyond the scope of uh, Timothy's life and looked to your life and my life, and he said this, what Paul is writing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost here, this right here, this is worthy of your acceptation. If you believe the Word of God, then you have to believe that godliness is for you because the Bible says that it is. Not only because of our faith in the Scriptures, but I think because of our faith in the Savior. And look at verse 10. I'm going to say this in hush. He says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. When he uses the word, therefore, I'll tell you what I believe he's referencing. I believe he's referencing everything that he's talked about in chapter number 4. I believe he is saying to Timothy, Timothy, there's going to come hard days in which men are going to hate the truth and they're going to kick against it and they're going to hate those that preach the Word of God. Timothy, there's going to come a day when you're going to have to uh, fight the urge and fight the temptation to follow after sensationalist preaching and rather just stick to the truths of the Word of God. Timothy, you're going to have to work hard and exercise yourself unto godliness and you're going to have to teach your people that that's the right path when the flesh says it's not the right path. And he's saying because of all this... All all of these things that you're going to have to do. Timothy, you know why we do them? He's saying we do them because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do them because of the pattern that He is in godliness. Let me tell you something. If you want to look for somebody that an 
embodied godliness. It's Him in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect example and expression of godliness that has ever existed. But I think not only because of the pattern, but I think because of what He's done in our lives, we ought to follow after godliness. I think we ought to pursue godliness because to be more like Him is to change our lives for the better. I believe that the more we become like Jesus Christ, and there's nothing He can ask of us that is too much, the more we become like Him, the better we'll be. Don't you think that? Now, I understand. You may sit here and you may say, Preacher, how do I respond to this message tonight? God has done a work in my heart, but how do I respond to this? Well, I'll tell you how you can respond this evening. You can ask the Lord to give you strength and determination to become godly and to exercise yourself unto godliness in your life. And then, when you rise up from kneeling in prayer, you know what you can do? You can determine that as you leave this place, you're going to ask God to help you to do that tomorrow. And not just tomorrow, but the next day. And not just the next day, but the day after that. It won't happen in one moment, but it's worth pursuing. Somebody say amen to that.